This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Dear young married couple, we've actually been listening to you and some of you have reached out and asked for um, listening to an elderly or an experienced couple talk about sex in the later years. We found the perfect couple to talk about this. Dr. Cliff and Joyce Penner are an incredible dynamic duo. They have been married for 60 years and they talk about sex, that's what they do. He is a clinical psychologist, she's a clinical nurse specialist, and so together they bring both the psychological and medical. He also has a degree in theology from Fuller, so they bring that into the picture as well. Yeah, they've written 11 books and they've actually been uh, working with couples for, I believe it was 48 years. So that's an incredibly long time and long enough to really start to see patterns and, and movements and, and stuff that people struggle with. So in this episode, they get really practical to help you through these stages of your sex life. And they do share a little bit about what sex is like at 80 years old. So you're in for a treat. Listen to this one, get really informed and pull up some notes, pull up a notebook, take some notes and share this episode with your spouse. It's something for you guys to listen to together and definitely grab the resources. Welcome, Dr. Cliff and Joyce Penner to the podcast. Thanks so much for being on with us today. Well, thank you for having us. We're thrilled to be here. Yes, we're. Um, it's special for us because the first marriage training that we went to as a couple um, years ago was a training by you guys. Oh, and then really? the next day was a, a seminar after the, the training. So that's it's really special that you're on our podcast. I still have that's my workbook fun. from that. Oh, really? from that. <laughs> I sure do. I should have went and found it. Yeah. But, yes. but even then, it was very helpful for us just to open the conversation that seems so difficult for mm -hmm. so many couples, uh, especially in Christianity when you haven't really had uh, introduction to talking about this kind of stuff. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That one of our main goals always is to just open up the the flow of conversation for people so that we can uh, expect them to just learn uh, and communicate together, together mm -hmm. which ultimately makes a major difference. Yep. Yep, for sure. Well, for those who are listening on the podcast and they aren't watching, they may not realize that we have a couple on our podcast right now that probably in all the years we've been podcasting has the most years of experience um, <laughs> and age. So we want to find out about your story. We don't ask everyone their story, but it's particularly interesting when someone like you has been talking about sex for so long in Christian circles. So share and with so us. And so well-respected. And so well-respected, yes. Yeah. Yes, yes. Share with Thank us you. how old you are and how you got started with all of this however many years ago. Well, both of us are turning 82 this year. We, we That's been, amazing. And celebrating our 60th wedding anniversary oh in August. Oh my goodness. That's so, so cool. 
And never did when we got married, did we think we would be doing this for our life work. But uh, I was actually a nursing professor and Cliff was a in private practice as a clinical psychologist, when he was asked to teach a group of moms about teaching, talking to your kids about sex. And we had two kids at that point. We have three, actually, but that third one hadn't arrived yet. And he thought, well, you know, this is something I should know about. So he gave the talk. So I prepared a a 45-minute talk on talk to your kids about sex. And afterwards... Somebody asked whether I would come and teach a group of 60 women a 10-week course on sexual adjustment in marriage. Okay, two hours a week, Wednesday night from 7 to 9 or something. And and I said, well, I said everything I knew in that little talk. Uh, And they said, no, no, we think you'd be good. So I, because it was 60 women and because Joyce was the professor, I prevailed upon her. And so she joined me. And we taught that first course in the spring of 1975. Wow. And, well, we've been doing this 48 years now. And we're oh definitely goodness. the longest. But each That's step amazing. of the way, we never pursued it. We were always invited. So it, it really feels like God was calling us to this. Mm. And we always say God has had a sense of humor when he called us as having been raised as Mennonites very conservative and wow. the word sex was not even used in fact cliff's mom said always she, well, she to- would never say the s word she would only <laughs> say what you do uh, doing what you do there's a lot of things that we do <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, wow. yeah, that was as close as we got to the subject in in our families growing up but uh, wow so then what happened was that because Word Books wanted a, a book on sex, too, because some of the other publishers had published one. Um, so they asked us to write The Gift of Sex, and that came out in 81. Wow. And uh, so now we're talking, that's 42 years old. Interestingly enough, it is still our bestseller of all of our 11 books. Oh, yeah. I, I one, can see why. Like, that just one, a basic, yeah. It's incredible. We've been recommending The Gift of Sex for over a decade, mm-hmm. and it has been used for so many couples in our practice alone, and I know they recommend it to so many people, and it's also impacted our marriage. So thank That's you for great. writing that book. Oh, thank you. Yes. Yes. So we want to dig into how you got from a Mennonite upbringing, <laughs> never using the S word, all the way to um, now you're comfortable with it. I mean, I know you said you were invited well, by people to speak. Right, and coming from that background, I mean, was it always easy talking about sex with each other or well, how this interesting, began? interesting, yes. What happened is I during my last semester in my school of nursing, I was in school of nursing at St. Paul, Minnesota, and Cliff was in Bethel College there. Uh, we were engaged, and the school decided, so many of us in the class, these small classes, were engaged to be married that summer. So they hired a Christian female psychologist to give a prep to marriage class, which we took the whole quarter or semester, I don't remember, but anyway, and it was so amazing. That was 1963. Wow. And she gave... A very positive, informed basis for sexual adjustment in marriage. Mm-hmm. 
And we were so excited. It was like we were an empty slate. You know, rather than getting false information. We hadn't gotten any information. In some ways, that was better. Mm. Because if we, like so many women we're doing with today, shut down on their passion to control their actions. And then they get married and they're so disappointed because the passion doesn't return that easily when they shut it down to control their actions. And we we hadn't gotten anything like that. And she was giving, so I took notes like crazy. And then we met in the evening and I shared those notes. And so we learned right away to talk about sex. So it never was hard for us. We went from nothing to this open, healthy approach. And that's why we wrote, well, The Gift of Sex, we were asked to write, and then later we wrote Getting Your Sex Life Off to a Great Start for Engaged and Newly Married Couples to help them have that same preparation that we got. Mm. So good. Wow. (laughs) I mean, so now that, okay, so fast forwarding, you guys have a a good starting place and you enter in your marriage, probably with a very biblical view and mindset around sexuality. But then you probably start hearing all these stories from people that don't have this Mm -hmm. great experience. What are some of the typical, and and now you have how, you know, 40 years of a track record of watching these things happen over and over. What are some of the patterns in Christian circles? Because our audience is um, mainly Christian, but what would be the, the, the main patterns and, and things that you see over and over and over mm-hmm. with one Christians? Of the things, one of the things that stands out uh, frequently is the idea that it's the woman's job to keep the man happy and satisfied so that sex isn't for her, it's for him, and it's her job to see to it that he gets it and he's happy on a regular basis. And, 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 and then everything will be okay. Yeah. Which and, is a lie, but that's right. what's taught. And yeah. then it's if he gets into porn, which is such a difficulty today, right. then it, she must be doing something wrong that he has to go to porn. And she gets blamed for it, which is really not mm. the case. How does that get perpetuated in Christian circles? Yeah, it is. And that then, lie. she's saying, how does oh. that get perpetuated? Um, well, well, I think it starts actually in dating where if you, if the girl gets pregnant, if they've gone too far, that somehow she didn't set the limits. Mm -hmm. And so she, and the one thing I've been dealing with frequently lately is women who are newly married and they had so much passion that it scared them. They didn't think they could, so they really prayed to not have their passion or shut it down to control their actions and just stopped all physical contact. And then they get married and they're thinking it's just going to be great. And you can't go from nothing to consummating your marriage on the wedding night and having that passion because there are all kinds of issues that you experience with that first time and if you shut down on the passion then it's just the physical part and sometimes that isn't so great mm-hmm. <laughs> you know and so what we try to teach at that point is that we don't encourage people to shut down on their passion but to make very clear choices about their behaviors mm. not not trying to control how turned on they get but but know that if you're going to 
sleep together or take showers together or go on a one-week road trip together or whatever, that's going to set you up for being together sexually. That's the most right. thing. So right. control the external circumstances rather than shutting down the internal. That's good advice for premaritals. Like, mm -hmm. enjoy, be passionate. Mm -hmm. Don't control how passionate or even turned on you get, mm -hmm. but control those external behaviors and contexts. So for the for the married couple that is experiencing maybe that, uh, just that waning of passion, how would you coach them? And in a lot of your book, I, I think you're, you have chapters in your book dedicated to this, but what are some of the ways that you help bring back that passion to couples that have had maybe uh, just a decline in passion? Yes, or actually more that it's shut down completely and they thought when they went to their hotel room, they would feel those same feelings that they had shut down mm -hmm. and they don't just turn on with a light switch. So if you've done that and it hasn't turned on and you're feeling all that disappointment, take some time to just restart and realize that it may not have that same feeling that it had when you were making out, when you were dating and realizing, feeling guilty about it, thinking it was wrong because now it isn't wrong. So there's an additional factor in the feelings when you're doing it with guilt. Yeah. Hmm. Don't try to get the same feelings back that you had there. Rather restart and really focus on the love and the intimacy and the warmth and the good feelings. The way we talk about it in the gift of sex is that we want to focus on the pleasure of the experience rather than on the outcome. It's not about how aroused you're getting or how quickly you're having an orgasm or how many orgasms you have or anything else. It's about just enjoying the pleasure of the experience and then the the climax of that will be an outcome from that pleasure but the the, out, the outcome mm -hmm. the climax the orgasm is not the goal the goal is the pleasure but sometimes the woman has to actually grieve the loss of that because it just was such an expectation and learn to enjoy at a deeper more intimate level not that excited intense newness feeling of mm -hmm. doing something wrong and it's so exciting and mm -hmm. all that because it won't be that way it's about deeper marital love boy mm -hmm. wouldn't that speak to mature marriages where yeah. they they may be even searching for that crazy high that they had when dating and they're like you know we've been married for 20 30 40 years how do we get this thing back like what would you say don't to get, them you don't work on getting that back Work on making it the best it can be given where you are in this state of life. And I, that's I, certainly I, true at 81 or 82. You don't, yes. you don't, and we have the benefit of having had a good experience. So then it's different. But if you didn't have a good experience and then you're 81 or 82, that's a different thing because mm. your bodies aren't going to function the same. There are adjustments that have to be made, but even for those middle years for couples with kids yeah. and, you know, when you've got a house full of children, they're often going to bed once they reach the teenage years after you go to bed. And how do you keep 
connected during that. And right. in our new well, books. I think this would be a good time to talk about our formula for intimacy. Yes. And that's Let's in talk our, about it. Yes. And that's in our newer books, The Married Guy's Guide to Great Sex and Enjoy the Gift of Sexual Pleasure for Women. What we okay. recommend there is that, that couples plan a 15 minute a day connection that is not about sex but rather has these ingredients. First of all, it's a conversation of, of connection and affirmation that is not about planning your life, not about who's going to pick up the dry cleaning tomorrow. Or resolving your last argument. Yeah. <laughs> it's, something, it's something positive. And what's important in it, in the research has, sex and the brain research has actually validated this, looking in each other's eyes when you talk, because just like when we are to look into the baby's eyes, when we're breastfeeding or giving the baby the bottle, when we have eye-to-eye -eye contact, our brain gives a big surge of oxytocin, which is the bonding intimacy hormone. Mm -hmm. And that's particularly important for couples where they're trying to reestablish an intimate sex life after porn has or a sexual addiction has interrupted that meaningful learning. Or even if it's just that they haven't been able to resurrect those old, excited, yep. passionate right. feelings from the past. And, and then, so then we, we, so we start with that face-to-face -face connection, just a few minutes. And then if there's a, a, any kind of possibility of any kind of spiritual connection, and everybody's at a different place in that pilgrimage, but whether that's a prayer a scripture, a devotional, uh, a thought, uh, mm -hmm. anything in that direction, wherever that couple is. And then the physical and start the physical with a full front to front body hug. I mean, really get in there. We can't do it right now or we'll disconnect all our. Let's see it. Come too. on. I'm just checking. <laughs> <laughs> but and a and set the timer the first couple times just to see we how We talk about a, a 20 second hug. And the reason we talk about a 20 second hug is that the research has shown when there is a full body uh, hug of 20 seconds, it also raises the, the oxytocin level in the body. That's yep. measurable. And, right. and that's the bonding hormone that connects us. And that's particularly good for women who may have difficulty with passionate kissing or may have kind of stopped kissing or only mm -hmm. kiss when they want to have sex because they're afraid of getting him aroused, which is no problem if he gets aroused. He doesn't have to do something about it. We always say a man has a response every 80 to 90 minutes while he sleeps and gets an erection and a woman lubricates vaginally every to 80 to 90 minutes while we sleep and he doesn't do go. something about every response that he gets every 80 to 90 minutes <laughs> yeah, 80 to 90 minutes he'd be pretty worn out and so would she so That's surprising about her though i think a lot of people assume that a, a man gets aroused more frequently but yes. it sounds like from the research a woman gets aroused just as frequently absolutely and the research now has actually shown that women who say they don't get aroused many of them actually are when they take the physical signs it's just that man's a man's a man's response is so much more obvious mm -hmm. whereas a woman's is so internal that yeah. she may not even notice it so when they're actually measured 
she may be getting aroused, but not feeling aroused. So we, mm-hmm. but we got off the eye to eye contact, the conversation, a spiritual connection, a full body hug, and then a passionate kiss. And mm-hmm. it's in the passionate kissing that we ignite the excited hormones, the dopamine. Yes, um, that newness, that excited when we feel a little guilt with it, even a little bit of that can still come back at this age. Just a spark there. So uh, enjoying then the passionate kiss. And for either men or women who have difficulty with passionate kissing, maybe something happened to them in growing up where kissing uh, was a, a violation and so or they were taught not to have those feelings Mm. so start with just lip to lip and kind of linger and then include more of the mouth and take it and let the person who is hesitant lead Mm. so you're not being kissed but you're kissing the other person Mm. especially if there's been sexual violation so that's what happens Mm -hmm. during that 15 minutes and and that's not for the purpose of having a sexual experience. That's for the purpose of keeping the intimacy connected with one another. Mm. It sounds really similar to the first couple stages of sensate therapy, you know, where you have those 15 or 20 to 45 minute sessions of safe touching, caressing, kissing, Mm -hmm. but without intercourse involved. Would you, would you say a, a really essential element of this 15 minutes is that safe touch like this is not for us to go hit the bed as soon as we're done yes yes because many women particularly sometimes it's the opposite but mostly in our society it's the women uh when if she's you know doing something and he comes up and wants to kiss her in her mind she'll go through let's see do i want to have sex tonight or not Mm -hmm. and if she doesn't isn't sure then she gives the cheek rather than her lips and so what, couples- what happens over time is then the couple is kissing less and less. And the only time they kiss is perhaps during mm-hmm. a sexual experience mm-hmm. or leading up to one. Yeah. And that, mm-hmm. that really is sad because kissing is what keeps us alive yeah. and ignited and passionate. So kissing, even if it's not about lean, and this is why we created the formula for intimacy and make very clear that it's not an indication of wanting sex. It's just an indication of enjoying each other. Now, there are some cultures where it is it is not so common to experience the activity of kissing. And so if you're in that kind of a culture, it's going to take a little bit more deliberate and intentional work to help you get to that place. Mm -hmm. So we say a 30 second passionate kiss, but you may need to start with a five second passionate kiss and and work your way up. If you, even if you just increase, increase five seconds per time or one second per time, in 30 days, you'll get there. There you go. But that's a really, really great question or or a little assessment for people to go through in their minds to Mm -hmm. say, how often do my wife and I, even with all the busyness or the kids or whatever it is, how much do we kiss? Mm -hmm. And if it's, if it's twice a week, that's something to be worked on. Yes. Or if it's just a goodbye peck coming and going to work, um, that's also and what's nice about this formula for intimacy you can do that with the kids around you don't have to have the kids out of the house that's great for them to see that you're kissing and that you're 
Amen. Yes. yes. And that you're uh, uh, saying loving things to each other and yeah. that you're praying or reading scripture. All those things yes. are great model for our children. We so, believe that. So just so kind of kind of jumping off of what, okay, so we're, they're establishing intimacy. They're doing this 15 minute, they're, they're becoming uh, more sensual for sure. And, and mm -hmm. more intimate. Um, how would you suggest couples to like kind of leap or uh, springboard off of this base into more uh, sexual connection as well? Well, then the formula for intimacy, in addition to this 15 minutes a day, does encourage you to plan one time per week when the kids aren't around. And Wait, hold on, hold on. Plan. Yes. <gasps> That's not organic. <laughs> yes. That's right. And, and we should just pause there a moment because many people That's say. Good. You said that. Yes. You, you heard us say that. <laughs> people will often say, we just want it to be spontaneous. And, and we'll ask them the Dr. Phil question. So how's that working out for you? How's that working out? <laughs> And it's usually the ones who haven't had sex in a year or two that'll say, oh, but that would be so planned. We want it to be spontaneous. We'll say, yeah, you know, it's not working so well. Yeah, exactly. reassess that. Yes. Yeah. So what we're in, encouraging there is that just like we plan every other significant event in our life, mm -hmm. and it's kind of a discipline, uh, this is the same kind of thing. And uh, we often compare it to the idea of exercising. Um, people who exercise on a regular basis, once a week or five times a week or whatever, don't wake up saying, I can hardly wait till we can exercise. Some maybe do. Yeah. But, <laughs> but most of the time, it's a, uh, I need to. Or right. I, this is what I, I this do. This is my discipline. This is what we do. And then once they get into it, they get the feel for it. Yeah. And and the same thing is true uh, with uh, connecting sexually. Very often, you may not even feel it when you start. Sure. But as you get into it, the feelings get stirred up, and then you're glad you did. And that is when you can use our book, The Gift of Sex, or um, Restoring the Pleasure that has the sensate focus exercises in it. Mm. If, if you... It's so that you do more than just have a sexual experience. You really take time in that set-aside time yeah. to pleasure each other, to enjoy each other's bodies, and let that build as it will. And if it doesn't, it's fine. But at least you've yeah. had that time together. So good. You guys have made reference a couple times to the fact that, you know, you are older, you have all of these years of good experiences in your sex life. Um, are you open to talking? People want to know, like, are you still having sex at 82 after being married for 60 years? Well, not as frequently no. as we used to, but the answer yeah. is yes. Um, awesome. There are two things that have happened. One is as a man ages, his testosterone drops off mm. at a rate of about 1% per year. So okay. from it, starting at it, around age 25, we okay. reach our peak. And then every year, it on average, every man is a little different. But if we're just taking averages, uh, on average, it goes down 1% per year. So at 75, we only have 50% of the testosterone we did mm. at 25. Okay. So that's 
so that and testosterone is what drives us sexually and then for the woman um there's all the changes of menopause yes and the estrogen and progesterone decrease and different <laughs> symptoms happen with uh, vaginal mm -hmm. fragility and all that right so mm -hmm. and then the other thing we want to say is not everyone our age is able to function sexually mm -hmm. and when we think of sexual intercourse so but you can still be sexual and physical with each other in intimate ways and in pleasuring ways and enjoying each other mm -hmm. even mm -hmm. if it isn't possible physically for different illness reasons because not everyone is physically able when they're right. this age. So one of the ways we talk about it is that there are, are kind of stages of our of our sexual activity when we're newly married before the first kids come. If everything's working, that's that's usually more frequent and and easy. Then when the first child comes along. All the statistics show that the sexual frequency drops about 50% when, when the first half. child comes. For around. how long? Well, it depends on when the next child comes. <laughs> <laughs> it may be continuous you for know, a while. If, if you're the Dugers and you're having 18, well, then it's just... 19 and counting, I guess. Yeah, oh, you could grieve that loss. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, um, and then, and then, uh, once you have two, if you have two or three kids, whatever it is, that obviously is a very draining physical experience. And, and they're, they're one, three and five and up at different times of the night and yeah. all that stuff. So that cuts it back. Then, then there's a little lull between when they, they get out of the toddlerhood stage until they come out, become adolescents. And then as Joyce was saying earlier, once we have adolescence, then there gets harder. Then they're <laughs> then they're up all hours of the night, and yeah. uh, and, and if they took the car, then you can't really relax and know they're safe. So. <laughs> then you got stress. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And then then once the kids are out of the house, it if everything is going well, that's fine. But then there's all the physical stuff that comes along, whether it's breast cancer or yeah. or a broken bone or. Uh, Hip heart troubles or a hip replacement or all the things that happen mm -hmm. yeah. at that Aging. stage. And and then you hit menopause and, and all that. So mm. what we really push is not that you have a perfect sexual life that is the same throughout all the decades, mm -hmm. but rather that you um, make adjustments in the stage that you're in to make it the best it can possibly be given so what's going on for us right now. So mm -hmm. I think just remembering that, making it the best it can be given your reality, your life situation. Mm -hmm. yes. And that includes it being mutual and healing from past hurts that might be in there and just focusing on intimacy and connection and building that kind of unity becoming one in the biblical sense, not just the physical. Now, one of the things that we want to be sure to, to emphasize is we find it very beneficial for couples who are struggling with various issues to read out loud together. Oh, yes. So, for example, 
take our book, The Married Guy's Guide to Great Sex, or the one for women enjoying, and or even The Gift of Sex, too. Yeah, those two right there. <laughs> and maybe even taking turns between them. And not so much to read to get through it, but the reading out loud is so important because when we have thoughts or patterns that are affecting our body that spin mm -hmm. around like being worried that the man won't get an erection or the woman worrying yes. about whether she's going to get turned on or whatever it is that's spinning around in our, it's in the right hemisphere of our brain. And when we verbalize it, and that's why reading out loud is so important, and then talking about what you're reading, it has to go across the midline into the left hemisphere, the verbal center of our brain, which has less control over our body responses. Hmm. So that's why the reading out loud is so important and so not, good. you know, not task oriented to, oh, we didn't finish this chapter. But rather, maybe you read three sentences and you get into a great discussion. And that's, you know, then there's other sections that you might just read it through and it doesn't really relate to you that much, but it's helpful. Yeah. And so that's the thing we highly recommend to all couples. Such yeah, good what homework. a fantastic um, yeah. like intervention for people that do have the racing thoughts and worries mm -hmm. around talking about mm -hmm. sex. Like, even if they have nothing to say or they think they don't have anything to say, they could still pull out a book and or your book and read, hey, right. let's read this out loud and yeah. then stimulate the conversations from there. Yes. Well, and it helps the spouse gain perspective of what, what their spouse is going through. I'm working with Absolutely. a couple right now where, you know, there's been a lot of trauma and he has no idea what that's like for her. So they're sure. reading through a book on trauma and now it's stimulating conversation. He's peering into her world and it works yeah. beautifully. Good. Good. Yeah. Yes. And that can be helpful even when there isn't a problem just for enhancement. When you're wanting something new, it'll help give a little more perspective and bring you closer together. Well, and the other thing is often couples aren't that familiar or confident in even the use of, they don't know the difference between a, a uterus and a vagina, you know, um, <laughs> and, uh, and so they don't know the right words to use even. And, and she so might not even know, let's say she's having pain. Yeah. She might not even know what's causing or where the pain is. Right. So they just keep having sex with pain. Well, pain perpetuates more pain. Mm -hmm. So if there's pain, you've got to get help. And today, pelvic floor physical therapists are the best resource for women with pain. Or for Joyce, talk pain. about that. People have no idea that there are actual medical resources out there for sexual pain and how common it is. Can you share yes. more? Yes, and pain is, is so common. And many times women either don't share it or they think. Well, and it. often the men say it's all in her head. Mm -hmm. but, or she's just making an excuse. But, but now, the fact if they is, don't have a good relationship, yeah. if they do, it's not. Yeah. But what we have found in 48 years of doing this that we have never come across a situation where the pain was in the woman's head it was always in her vagina and <laughs> we always say it's in her <laughs> vagina <laughs> and it's real and it needs to be taken yeah. seriously yes. But yes for if you're looking if you're in an area and you're looking just go t type in google 
pelvic floor physical therapist mm -hmm. and there are different websites. And if you can't find one, you can always contact us or maybe you guys too. Mm -hmm. And I have different websites uh, that you can go to to find a pelvic floor physical therapist. In but your there are various kinds of reasons why a woman may be experiencing pain and it always needs to be taken seriously. And it always needs to be understood as something that can be resolved. Yep. We, over the years, we've worked with many marriages that were called unconsummated marriages. They'd never been able to yep. have intercourse. Yep. And, and in every instance where people were willing to stick with the process, we that's the only place where we would claim 100% success. And wow. it's very measurable. You know whether you have or you haven't. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's it's interesting because so many people are familiar with erectile dysfunction. Right. But so few people know about dyspareunia or vaginismus, and it's more common than erectile yes. dysfunction. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so, it's treatable. Yes. Yeah, very, very treatable. Right. And, and so no one should think, well, this is just my lot in life. I got stuck with a, a hurting vagina. You know? yeah. 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 But one thing we have to say, many women feel like, you know, here teenagers can do it in the back of a car. Why on earth? They feel badly about themselves right. that yeah. this is their fault or something wrong with them and yeah. why do i have to do this work to have something that should be natural and right. there are many reasons sometimes it's just some kind of a fall that, that happened sometimes yeah. it is past sexual abuse a tissue but, that's just not in the right place that needs right, to be adjusted right. there's so mm -hmm. many reasons yeah right and, and sometimes it seems like a lot of women distance themselves from the idea of pleasure mm-hmm yes mm -hmm. right. well and, and particularly they're not going to be experiencing pleasure if it's painful. And right. so, yeah. Uh, I always say, who chooses to go to the dentist? You know, <laughs> I just look so looking forward to going to the dentist. Yeah, my yeah. <laughs> And if that's, that's how you're viewing the marriage bed, like, yeah, oh, you don't want to go to that. like that, why would you want that? Absolutely. Exactly. Not supposed to want pain. Yeah. So, wow. This has been such a uh, fun, interesting conversation. And yes. we just want to, you know, thank you too for all of the resources. Where yes. could people find your books if they want to find, you know, a book to work on their marriage? Right. Well, Amazon has them, but if they want to get them directly from us they can, and want other resources from us, they can go to our website, which is passionatecommitment.com. Passionate, passionate, passionate commitment.com. And in there, we've got a bunch of frequently asked questions. And, and we should just say for fun, commitment has two M's and one T. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put, it, spell it. <laughs> spell we'll it, put it in the show notes so that you don't even have to be good at spelling. You just click the <laughs> That's this awesome. This is fabulous. Well, this is going to be a fun question for you guys. We ask all of our interviewees this uh -huh. question, and I think it'll be fun for us to hear your answer since you were the first marriage seminar we attended, and also you, you're the oldest guests on our podcast. Um, so go back to your first couple years of marriage. What advice do you wish you would have received? And then fill in the blank, dear young married couple. Well, dear young married couple, 
we would say we got what we wished every couple would get and that we were unusual in getting that. that so, moment. dear young married couple, educate yourself as you're getting into your sexual life together rather than Don't doing do so. what comes naturally. This idea that if we just do what comes naturally, it'll all work uh, wonderfully, and that's just not true. So, mm -hmm. um, that may be true for 10% of people, but... The more we talk about it, and the other thing we find in couples who are trying to keep themselves pure is they think talking about it will make them do it. Mm -hmm. And if you can't talk about it without being afraid you're going to do it, talk about it in the middle of your uh, parents' living room. There you go. You won't do it. <laughs> Uh, and a park or a park bench, you know, in the park somewhere or somewhere where you can't do it, but you can talk about it because mm. it is so important to read about it, talk about it, yes. share your expectations. And that's what getting your sex life off to a great start is so helpful for. Read it out loud together, mm. get to know yourself, get to know each other. Uh, really. But the simple answer is educate yourself because this is a lifelong process of learning and growing. Yep. Mm -hmm. So good. So good. Excellent. Man, we're so thankful for the penners. Yes, we yeah, are. I'm, Thank I'm you for being practical, too. That's, yeah. that's yeah, so helpful. Yeah, I'm curious. I, where, did, where did you uh, attend a seminar that we did? It was in East Bay, yeah. um, California. So I oh, think near Danville, Hayward. Danville? Probably yes. Danville, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay, I remember that one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, yep. So you were there. Wonderful. We were. Well, I'm yes. glad you're doing this and making a difference in the world because when we started, there weren't these kind of podcasts, of course, and right. definitely not about sex. So <laughs> uh, we're glad you're doing this. That's Aww. wonderful. Well, thanks for, well, thanks for having us. We really appreciate it. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.